invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to Daniel chapter 6. Let me start with the main idea today and then we're going to develop it together. So I'm going to say it so that you can clearly grasp it. I want you to know up front where we're going. And I think Daniel 6 is about this truth. You will not live for God in public if you do not first live with God in private. Let me say it again to you. You will not live for God in public if you do not first live with God in private. Daniel is going to teach us that the power behind our public devotion to God lies rooted in the power of our private dependence on God. In other words, practically speaking, you are no more, I should say it this way, what you are when no one is looking will determine what you are when everyone is looking. And what makes Daniel such an amazing believer in his own day and in our day as people look to him and value his example is that Centuries later, we still marvel at this truth that his public life and his private life matched. They were aligned, we might say. And that goes contrary pretty much to major lives in our culture in America today, where everything is about image. We have a social media me that we put out there in front of people, but the reality oftentimes is far different. We have a public persona. We have a public selfie and a private selfie, so to speak, and that's very commonplace when it comes to Hollywood movie stars and sports celebrity political figures who have hidden lives. Lives that they wouldn't want anyone else to know about. And sometimes those hidden lives become revealed when court cases and other things, people are sued, imprisoned, and so forth. We kind of really learn what they're like, what they're really like. And see, the great thing about Daniel is what you saw in public was what it was in private. There was no pretense with him. There was no political maneuvering to move up the ranks because he was after position. Daniel had no need to wear a mask. What he was in public, he was in private. See, he was not concerned about his image. He was concerned about God's image. And Daniel, from the very beginning of his life in chapter 1, all throughout his life, as he's in his 80s in Daniel chapter 6, made it painfully clear and obvious at times to everyone around him that he was God-centered, he was God-soaked, He was God-saturated. Everything in Daniel's life was built around and on God. Even how he wrote this book that we've read. Daniel looked at all the political and historical events that took place in chapter 1, even the exile of his own people, and here's what he says. And God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. God gave me favor with the eunuch. God made us ten times better. And Daniel saw every event, small and great in his life, from a God-centered perspective. What he ate was a matter of his relationship with God. What he wouldn't eat was a matter of his his dependence with God. Interpreting dreams. And they think that Daniel's so great and they want to make him third rule in the kingdom. And we're going to see that. And they're going to give him all this position. He says, keep those things for yourself. You know why? Because it's not me as if something special about me. God gave me the interpretation of those dreams. And then it comes to prayer. 
And chapter 6 and prayer is no different. I want you to see this not as some abnormality in Daniel's life, but a continuation of the same. See, prayer for Daniel was just another demonstration of his radically God-centered life. For Daniel, if what God thinks matters most, then you would consult him most, right? You would pray. If what God does matters most, then you would ask God to act first in your circumstances. And so you would pray. And that's what Daniel's life was all about. A God-centered, God-soaked, God-dependent life is a life lived by prayer. And it was evidence in his public life and in his private life. So let me just take those two points and unpack them a little bit at one at a time. The first four verses of this chapter find Daniel under a new leadership. There's a new ruler in town. His name is Darius the Mede. And Darius loves Daniel. See, at the end of the chapter, he tries everything he can to get him out of the lion's den or keep him from the lion's den. It didn't work, but Darius loved Daniel. And there's a reason why Darius loved Daniel. There were three high officials that were over all the other officials, the Bible said. And one of the highest three were Daniel. Daniel was so good, the Bible said, he distinguished himself, it says in verse 3, above all the other ones. I mean, there was something different about Daniel. Okay? In the passage, there's a contrast between these two phrases, the law of Daniel and his God and the law of the Medes and Persians, because even though he was in Babylon, he did not live by their laws, and they knew it. See, Daniel wasn't odd different. He was God different. And it showed up in his job, the place that he worked, and how he worked. He was so good at what he did. that the, the, Here's what Darius thought. I'm going to make this exiled Judean ruler over everything. And the only person that will be over him is me. He was professional in everything he did. He was successful. Daniel had political clout. He had power. He was a, had a bright future under this new king. Basically, he had it all. Until professional jealousy took over. The other two leaders next to him, all the people under him, became jealous. They became envious. They wanted what he wanted. In fact, it was probably more than that. There was some ethical jealousy because in 6.13, it says when they approached the king about who should bow to him and, and and pray to him, he says it was one of these Judeans that you had, the captive exiled Daniel. They pointed out who he was, that he wasn't a Mede or a Persian. He was Jewish. Basically, in their minds, you can't have a Jewish guy second in command in all the kingdom. You can't. And so they wanted him out. They tried to dig up dirt on him first. They tried to find something. By the way, the first thing they did was not look at his spiritual life. They looked at how he worked at his job. See, Daniel was not a pastor in a church or a missionary off somewhere. He was embedded in culture. He had a political position. He was with the higher ups and the people of power. I mean, he rubbed shoulders constantly with people who did not worship his God or believe in his lifestyle whatsoever. So he wasn't cloistered somewhere in a nice Christian environment where everybody thought and acted the same way. To the contrary, it was the opposite of that. And when all of his co-workers tried to find something wrong with him, they couldn't find anything. And the Bible is replete with the words, no ground, no complaint, no error, 
no fault. I mean, they looked at him and they tried to find something to pin him on and they couldn't. And the Bible tells us why. Because he was faithful, yes, to God, but faithful to his job and how he did it for God. See, listen, Daniel connected things. He connected his public life with his private life. Hear me. He connected his work with his faith. Daniel didn't just worship God on Sunday, well, Saturday. He worshiped him all week long. He didn't just say, hey, God, on Sunday, this is your time, and I'm going to raise my hand and do all this stuff, but Monday through Friday, God, I, I don't have any idea who you are. No, Daniel, for Daniel, his worship and his work were connected. See, put this together in your mind. Daniel didn't cut corners with God privately, so he didn't cut corners with Darius publicly. How he worshipped in God's kingdom made a difference on how he worked in man's kingdom. See, 21st century, let's fast forward. Here's what it would mean for you and I. See, Daniel would say, take your faith, take God to work with you. Let what you do for God impact what you do at your job. Daniel was the kind of guy who showed up early and left late, not the opposite. He was not a guy who would use his sick days... For vacation days. He's not a guy who would take stuff from work and then take it home and use it as his own. He wasn't a guy who would cheat on his expense count so he could enjoy some personal stuff and let the work pay for it. See, he didn't waste time. He didn't slough off. He wasn't fooling around at work. He wasn't lazy. He had initiative. He was incorruptible. He was efficient and he was effective. He was diligent and he was conscientious. You know why? Because he was doing it for God. He was doing it as a way of showing people in Babylon, this is what the real God is like. This is the difference that he makes in people's lives. See, he stood out publicly because he knelt down privately. That was why he was different. So I wrote in my notes, Daniel was so effective in Babylon because he was so rooted in Jerusalem. The Bible says, and not by accident, that Daniel went home every day and seemingly had a two-story house, probably with a flat roof with stairs on the side. And he went up into the upper chamber, and every, even though his house was in Babylon, his heart was in Jerusalem. And he demonstrated that by opening his windows every day three times and praying to God. That was the secret of his public success. Can I ask you, what about your public life? What's the power behind it for you? Or may I ask better, is there any power behind it? What drives you? You're going to get up tomorrow morning and go to your job. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. And for some, job is just something I do to pay the bills. For Daniel... It was his mission. It was his mission. You know what drove Daniel? Not the money he got, not the positions that he was given, not the success that he achieved, and not even what people thought of him so much. You know what drove him? God. God drove him. And even though everyone else around him wouldn't agree with it, they wouldn't appreciate it, they wouldn't even like it, and eventually it would almost cost him his life. Can I tell you this? He stuck to it because... He was connecting it to God. His work and his worship were connected. Do people 
at your job see a difference in your life, a God difference in the way that you work? Is it that who is on the inside comes to the outside of your life when it comes to your job? If all your coworkers had to go on to know that you were a Christian, was the way that you worked, would they believe that you followed Jesus? Because there are some of God's people who are kind at home and speak nicely to people, but they are cutthroat at work. There are people who go to work, serve their bosses. I mean, they'll come in early, stay late, take overtime. But when, when it comes home, there are husbands who have nothing to do with serving their wives or their children. I'm working on it. <laughs> I am astounded at times where people will have excellence at their job. I mean, they have nothing but the best of everything to do their job but they give junk for Jesus. That wasn't Daniel. See, I made a little line in my Bible with a little phrase says, because there was, he was, had an excellent spirit in him. See, a little prepositional phrase in him, I, the first one, excellence in him, I, I drew a line to where it says there was no fault in him. See, excellence in, excellence out. That's what Daniel was all about. You know why? Because his public life was a demonstration of who he really was privately. And who he was privately was an individual who was sold out to his God. And he didn't compartmentalize his relationship with God. It covered and touched everything, including his job. And he didn't go around and tell the stories at work that all the other guys did. And he didn't cut the corners. He didn't go out with the boss drinking after. He didn't do that. You know why? Because God was at stake in his job. It was connected. That was Daniel's public life. And behind the scenes, privately, where no one was looking, was the key to his whole life and existence. Daniel worked for God in public because he walked with God in private. See, Daniel had a house in Babylon, 610, but his windows were open toward Jerusalem. So I wrote for myself this week, my house is in Hamilton, but I want my windows open toward heaven. See, you're a teenager here this morning. Your school is in Hamilton, but your heart should be in heaven. So if your heart is in heaven, and that's where your windows are open, see, you will find the ability to be the only one who prays for your lunch. You will find it, the ability to be the only one who doesn't party during the weekend and doesn't dress immodestly and still is vocal about loving God supremely. You will find the ability, and you, if you don't, it's because your private life isn't driving it. No devotion publicly is mostly an indication of no dependent privately, I should say. No devotion publicly, no dependence privately. See, your job may be here this morning in Trent and Philly and Robbinsville or wherever, New York, but your heart is in heaven. And I gotta, I gotta believe that when Daniel says in 610, knew the writing was signed, it says that. So, by the way, what he did that day was intentional. It wasn't an accident. He didn't do it in ignorance. He did it on purpose. 
I got to think that it was for one day he could go home, or for 30 days actually, he would go home and say, you know what? Just going to close the windows for a month. Just for a month. Listen, I'm 80 years old. I've been opening the windows, making God supreme all these decades. 30 days isn't going to hurt anything. He could have rationalized, I'm much more effective for God alive than I would be uh, as lion food. But he didn't. It says in verse 10, he knew the writing was signed. Listen to this. And he went in his upper room. His upper room. He could have said, you know what? Let's just go downstairs because there aren't any windows there. But on the upper room, he was definitely more visible. And then it says his windows were open. So if you were looking at through his house down, you could see it because there's windows on the second floor and he kept them open. Obviously, you could close them then. Not glass, but obviously wood or some sort. He had them, you could close them. So now he's really visible to everybody else. And then he could have said to himself, oh, you know what? I know what the king said. So I'm going to come downstairs, close the windows and do it once. Only once. I'll still pray once. No, not Daniel. Second floor, windows open, prayed three times. Three times. So if you missed his first prayer or his second prayer, you were sure to see him the third time. Because Daniel's prayer life, hear me, was a statement. Here's what the statement was. God is more important to me than anything else. Prayer was Daniel's way of resisting Babylon. Do you know, prayer was Daniel's spiritual immune system. Your immune system works in your body so that you can resist disease and sickness. And so if you can wear down your immune system uh, by smoking or drinking, uh, eating bad things, not eating enough, certain diseases, sickness, cancer, AIDS, those will all wear it down pretty fast. But I read an article that says, how do you keep your immune system strong so that it can protect you against all the sicknesses around you? Well, you have to wash your hands, disinfect, eat well, diet, exercise. There's all kinds of things that you can do. But if you neglect those things and you don't discipline yourself to do all those things, you can find your resistance breaking down and it opens you up to finding sickness and disease more radically. See, as Christians, we live in a sin-sick world, just like Daniel did. And you know how we resist? You know how we keep our resistance up? A steady diet in the Word of God. And we read His Word, and we pray, and we come to church. Can I tell you nicely? That's why you need to come back tonight. You know why? Because one service a week isn't going to keep your resistance up. I need someone else to encourage me, pray for me. I need to see someone else who's devoted, and they're going to be devoted enough to come back and be here on Wednesday night. Why do we come three times a week? Because we're just crazy Baptists. No. Well, yes, but no. Because we're crazy for God. See, I don't think my resistance is strong on my own. I need all of you, and I'm hoping somehow for a while longer you're going to need me. Right? Right? Daniel said, here's my statement. I need you, God. So I pray not once, not twice, three times a day. You and I make statements all the time about what's important in our life, don't we? I mean, look at people's hairstyles. With the clothes styles they make. How about God's people making a statement with their lifestyle? See, what's more important, your fashion statement, your friend statement, or your faith statement? 
What are you going to say to the world around you about what matters most to you? How are you going to tell them every single day, you know what matters most to me? God. God matters most to me. You know what Daniel did to resist Babylon? He didn't organize a walk on Babylon or the palace. He didn't raise votes to exchange or change the government view. You know what he did? He had to kneel down in his own room by himself. He prayed. It was an intentional act of civil disobedience and an intentional act of spiritual obedience all at the same time. So teenagers, is your most important relationship the one you have with God? It could be that the reason why you don't stand up for God at school is because you don't kneel down with God at home. Adults, is your relationship with God most important to you? It could be that the reason you don't stand out at work is because you don't kneel down at home. You know why? You've closed the windows. Is your, our relationship as a church, is God and our relationship to him corporately, is that the most important thing to us? It could be the reason that we don't stand for the gospel and stand against the sin of our culture and we're afraid of what everyone around us is going to say. And it could be because we don't kneel down at home. And I know of scores of churches who have closed the windows. They've closed the windows. And they're not willing to stand But I can tell you this, Daniel gives us this example, that one man, completely devoted God, can change an entire culture. I mean, multiple times in this book, multiple times, decrees go out from the world ruler of the day that Daniel's God is the number one God. There is no other God like him. Why? Because there was one man who said this, my private life and my public life are going to be connected. And everything about my life is connected to God. My work, my school, my job, my relationships, my friendships, my morality, my habits, my entertainment, all of it is connected to God. Pastor Walker, I thought this sermon was about two lion's dens. Well, it is. The first one is the one you're very familiar with, verses 12 through 23. Daniel prays to God instead of to Darius, and he is thrown in the lion's den. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3 were thrown in the fiery furnace. And in both instances, God delivers them from those things. He delivers them from the fiery furnace, and he delivers them him from the lion's den. And in both cases, the people who tried to put them in those places died. Those who were putting them in the fiery furnace burned up before they could get out of the way. And those who eventually put Daniel, caused to be put in the lion's den, all of them and their wives and their children were put in the lion's den, and the lions killed them, all of them. And you could look at these two episodes, couldn't you? And you could believe that the lesson is for us to believe that, see, if you are publicly and privately faithful to God, that you trust God in all of your life and put him first at the center of everything, here's what God is saying, that it's always going to turn out in your favor. See, that God somehow, if you live for him, he's always going to promise that you'll be delivered from all the fiery furnaces and that the lion's dens will never bother you or never hurt you. You could think in your heart by reading these two episodes together, you could say, well, if I stand up for God at school as a young person, see, I'll never be bullied. You'd be wrong. 
If I stand up for God at work and I don't follow everything everybody else does, see, then I'll be the one who gets the promotion. You're probably going to be wrong. I stand up for God as a single person and I don't follow the morality of all the other people who are unmarried in my call. You know, I don't see. Therefore, I'll be popular. I'll have friends. I'll be accepted. You'd be wrong. Because in both episodes, what is also true is this. Whether it's the fiery furnace or the lion's den, God sends, and here's the quote, his angel to deliver. I believe the angel is a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Jesus takes on bodily form, and he is the fourth man in the fire. He is the second man in the lion's den. And here's what I think is true. Trusting God did not, please hear that, did not keep the three friends of Daniel out of the fiery furnace. It did not keep Daniel out of the lion's den, but God delivered both of them in it. In it. See, the angel came to where they are. God met them in the furnace. God saved them from the inside, not the outside. Okay, Pastor Walker, that's great, but what does it matter? Here's why it matters. Because Jesus would come eventually to fulfill God's story. And that was a preliminary view of what he would do. See, Jesus would come into our furnaces, he would come into our lion's den, and he would give us the ultimate deliverance. He didn't just keep us from those things. He came, he took our cross, he took our death, he took God's wrath that was rightfully ours. He came to where we are and where we were in our lives. And see, he took it and he delivered us and it was an inside job. He did. And because of his ultimate deliverance of us through his cross, death, and resurrection, here's what the reality is. Now we can face any fiery furnace and any other lion's den now that we'll ever face. That's why, if I can close this morning with two passages, let me have the two passages in the New Testament read back and tell you how to think about the Daniel 6 lion's den passage. Can you turn first to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 32 says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now listen, watch the stories. These are our stories. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. What's the next one? Stop the mouths of lions. That's Daniel. Next verse, quench the power of fire. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here's the truth. Ready? What are we supposed to learn about these two lions then? Well, here's how God works. When you love him privately and depend on him and trust him, and you make that connected to everything in your life publicly, here's what he will do. Ready? Sometimes, with some people... He will deliver you from those things. Sometimes he will deliver you out of the furnace. Sometimes he will deliver you out of the lion's den. But verse 36 says there's another category. Hebrews eleven thirty-six says this. Others. See that word? Crucial. There are people who didn't 
have to go to the lion's den. People delivered out of it, out of the violence of fire. They were beaten, but God delivered. They were in prison, and God delivered them. They even died, and God resurrected them. See, there's a whole group of people where he delivered out of the problem, but others. Others were beaten and imprisoned and sawn in half and cut in half and died. And here's the insight. Sometimes God delivers us from death, and other times God delivers us through death. But he'll always deliver us. Always. Can I tell you about Paul's lion's den? You may not know this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you'll turn there, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's at the end of his life. Seemingly the last epistle and letter that he wrote. And some of his last words, he recalls the story of Daniel. For our inspiration. And Daniel chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. He has just had a trial, his first stage of the trial, and he knows the second stage will ultimately, he will be executed, and as a Roman citizen, he won't be crucified, he will have his head cut off. Verse 17 of 2 Timothy 4, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Just like the Lord stood by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the furnace, just like he stood by Daniel in the lion's den. He says he's the same God all these centuries later. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message might fully be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Now watch the verb tense. So I was rescued, see it, from the lion's mouth. That's his Daniel story. That's his lion's den story. See, I thought that they were going to convict me and I was going to die And they were going to kill me, but God delivered me out of that. I mean, he came right where I was in death and took me right out of it. God delivered me, but he said, that was before. But now in this new imprisonment, in this new trial, here's what's going to happen. And he goes on to say, he was rescued. Now watch verse 18. The Lord will rescue me, but not from death. But through death, he says, from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So living for God in Babylon isn't easy. It's going to be rough. It's going to be difficult. And sometimes it'll be lonely. But here's what God says. You can face every lion's den now because the ultimate lion's den has been taken care of by Jesus. Paul could face the lion's den of death and beheaded execution because the ultimate lion's den has already been taken care of by Jesus. You know how you can handle the diagnosis when you get it of cancer? You can handle every disease. You know how? Because the most horrific disease The cancer of the soul, which is sin, has already been taken care of in Jesus. You know how you can face loneliness in your life and you don't think that anyone is there and cares? You know how you face that pressure now in your life? Because the ultimate loneliness has been taken by Jesus when he died by himself on the cross for your sin and mine. That's how we can handle that lion's den. And you know how you can work through financial debt now? Knowing this, that the greatest debt that you'll ever have, the debt of your sin, has been paid for through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That lion's den, 
It's taken care of. Jesus has conquered all of it. So do you have any lion's dens? Are you facing any of them? If you know Jesus, can I say this to you? Be strong because the lion tamer is on your side. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be some of God's people here today? And you'd say, Pastor Walker, I'm facing some lion's dens of my own. I may not know what those are, but can I tell you this? God does. God knows. He knows the pressure you're getting at work because others are jealous of your success. They don't think that you should be where you are. They want the promotion and you got it. People in your family are struggling. You know why? Maybe you're the only believer and no one else thinks the way that you think and believes the way that you do. No one has the devotion to God. They don't want you to have it either. And you feel all isolated and by yourself. You're a teenager here, and every day you go to school, the resistance, it's, it's tough. Everybody talks this way, jokes about these things. This is what they say they do. This is what happens with girls. This, all this stuff. And you find it easier just to fit in and do what everybody else does. Say, Pastor Walker, I need to build up my resistance. I need to be devoted to God, stay in his word, stay on my knees, be in the house of God. See, I need to take all this stuff far more serious. I'm so casual and cavalier about it, and there's no wonder that I'm where I am. And maybe you're not standing up, standing out, or standing against. You know why? Because you're not kneeling down. Maybe because God needs to be reconnected to all those things in your life. And with heavy, heavy head bowed, every eye closed, would you say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand. Pray for me. I need to live for God in Babylon. I'm not. Not the way I should. I need resistance. I need his help. Would you just put your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the balcony. Thank you. On my right. Thank you. Thank you here in the front. Anyone else? Others? Anyone else? Thank you in the balcony. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. On my right. Thank you. Perhaps you're here this morning. Thank you, sir. You're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor Walker, I'm not even sure I know God. But I need to. I, I want to give my life to the God of Daniel, the living God, the most high God, the true God. I've never done that, but I need to. You, would you do us a favor just as the song is completed at the end of our service, would you just walk forward Simply say, Pastor Walker, could you have someone show me how I could know Jesus Christ? I want to live out the victory he's provided. Now and for eternity. We'll be glad to take a few moments and do that with you this morning. Father, we often say, you've seen hands, but most of all, you've seen hearts. People in our church, and far more that raise their hand today, perhaps, are facing lion's dens pressure, the struggle, sometimes it feels overwhelming, more than we can handle, and maybe even say to ourselves, not sure how much more we could go through or how long we could go on. 
But see, here's the thing. You're with us in those and you ultimately won the victory. And if we're connected to you, then we connect you to everything else. That doesn't mean it's simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. But the power is available to us. And I pray for those who raise their hand today. Father, I pray that they would grow in their relationship with you. That you would be the center of everything. That you would be most important in their life. And they would begin in small ways to demonstrate it. By just coming to services, being here faithful to you and your word on their knees, just the small basics of life. And then, God, may you grow them into being people like Daniel, whose private life begins to make a difference publicly for your glory and your name and your kingdom alone. And we'll thank you for the rich blessings that you alone can give. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.